Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, all. It was Thanksgiving uh, weekend uh, in the U.S., and that's usually traditionally tied to football. By miracle of miracles, the Buffalo Bills actually won. Uh, but Russ, you wanted to start with the the classic in the uh, north of the border, the Grey Cup of uh, the Argos and uh, Calgary Stampeders. Yeah, in Ottawa, it, it, I covered a Grey Cup back in '04, I think it was, or '06. No, I think it was '06. You know, Damon Allen, that was like his last game. He won the Grey Cup for the Argos, and you know, and I, I really enjoyed it. What I enjoyed about that event, even all those years ago, was that even though there's corporate sponsorship. It still was a fan event. Like a lot of real fans were at that game, not people just paying a high ticket price. And so yesterday you fast forward to Ottawa and you and you got Calgary against Toronto and really a great quarterback matchup. Ricky Ray, who literally had a cup of coffee one preseason with the Jets, and I got to see him, believe it or not, of all places, Indianapolis. I was there for a, a, a conference and there was a Jets preseason game against Colts. I get tickets, and here's Ricky Ray. The Jets trot him out there. He looks good. It was when Chad Pennington was quarterback, and then they cut him, right? And he goes on to win, like, multiple championships now <laughs> in the CFL. It was – and probably won one before that, and now he's won multiple since. Yeah, I think but so. That game was exciting because, A, there was snow. B, you know, there was no, like – overdone halftime show it was simply like Shania Twain came in. She came in on a dog sled. She did three songs and she left. Right. And, and they had a song before the game too, but that was nice. There was no like huge commercial, like don't miss the halftime show. You know, there wasn't like all of that. There was just like a mention, casual mention or two, normal commercials. I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't assaulted from like every corporation in Canada watching this game. It was a close game. And I'm telling you, you got to be a real fan to sit out there in in the in the snow like that. And that's what I realized. That's what's great about football that we don't get. The next, if it, if I were the NFL commissioner, the first thing I would do is award the next Super Bowl to Lambeau Field because that's the kind of game I want to see. And they tried it with you know MetLife, but MetLife, you know, New Jersey in January doesn't get a lot of snow. If you look on the calendar, it really doesn't. But I, that's what I want to see. I want to see a game like that for the NFL. And Kev, I, when we when Russ and I were talking before the show, if you think of the classic football games, there's always like weather tied to them. There was that Philadelphia Chicago game playoff game where it was a fo- it was foggy. Yeah. There was the the uh, the famous Ice Bowl, Green Bay and Dallas in '67. Yeah. You know the 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 Tuck Rule game with with t- Tom Brady. The weather was bad, and and Vinatieri makes the field goal. I mean, there's always so, it was always. And and the Super Bowl is so antiseptic. It's so produced to the point of, you know, I think the commercials are more the motivation for the damn Super Bowl than the football game is. Well, I I, I share your romance of the Grey Cup. I did not get a chance to see it yesterday. I was busy. But, uh, uh, you know, growing up just, uh, you know, in the Detroit area, so Canada's right across the border. It's less than an hour from a drive from my house. Um, you know, I get I get the whole Great Cup thing, and I, I do love the 
you know, potential for snow and the, you know, the game is just different enough to where it piques your interest in that way. And, you know, you see, uh, you know, guys who, you know, it, it's football at its purest form, you know, yeah. you don't have all world uh, linemen on every team and it's guys that, you know, are still, uh, it was, you know, will they make it or will, won't they make it in terms of being pro players, uh, you know, where, you know, a lot of the players we have in the NFL today, like, you know, at 15, they're going to play in the, in the yeah. NFL. And I saw a ridiculously smart play, Kev, and I don't know if I would see this play in the NFL because sometimes there are some really dumb plays in the NFL, but there was a play where there was a, a snap, a bad snap to the punter. He was on like the 10-yard line. He basically had to retrieve it in the end zone and instead of picking it up, he just kicked it out of the end zone and took the two points against and just said, you know what, in this weather, that's the best move because now I'll give you two points, but at least we get a better kickoff. And that was, yeah. a, you know, that, that's a smart play we don't see. Yeah, and you got to play in the CFL. Like, you got yeah. three downs. You, yeah. you, know, you, give, you, you know, you can't play it conservatively. You got to go for it immediately. And, you know, it's it's a real exciting game and there's a lot of action and, uh, and off you go i you know i just i can't get behind you and i you guys uh, you know we've had this conversation before i mean basically you're telling the nfl that they got it all wrong for having the biggest incredible sporting event in the history yes. of mankind yes <laughs> you know i you know as as a guy who's old enough to remember when it started and you know, trying to build the brand and everything to you know it's amazing where it is now you know but people you wouldn't want as a viewer Forget you're a writer. You're just a fan and a viewer. You wouldn't want to see a Super Bowl like at Lambeau Field. Oh, oh, oh absolutely. But I, I don't think they're wrong the way they're doing it. I mean, it's become a huge – No, but I'm saying, like, okay, forget that I even said it's wrong. I just think that's more right. <laughs> well, I, 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 would, I would love to see a cold weather. You know, we had um, – it was in the Silverdome, but, you know, there was a Super Bowl here indoors – um, but outdoors, we had the winter event in the Detroit area. And I remember walking down, you know, they created sort of a, um, you know, kind of a festival-like atmosphere. But it was so cold that people didn't enjoy that aspect of it. That's that's the only issue is, is that, you know, part of the Super Bowl is to build up around it. But, I, you know, I, I love – I've never seen – and we've talked about this before. I've covered a lot of NFL games, like more than 100. Uh, at least, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many, but I've never sat down. But uh, and I've been to a lot of different stadiums, but I have never been to Lambo for a game. Wow. I've been there wow. before, and you know, the reason was, uh, you know, back it was all hands on deck early at USA Today on NFL Sunday because we staffed every NFL game. And as the hockey writer, a guy who was accustomed to traveling and writing uh, on deadline and so forth, they always would just say, "Hey, can you pick up a NFL game on Sunday?" But the NFL writers got first pick. Well, they always wanted to go to Green Bay. And, you know, I ended up in Minnesota or Cleveland or Miami or you know, the Meadowlands, you know, places where the NFL writers would prefer to go only when there's a huge game. So I never got to Lambeau Field. And every year I threatened to, you know, grab my son who lives in Chicago and, and get up there. But it just has never worked out. Um, maybe when I retire, I'll do that. Well, this, this, this is how obsessed the NFL is with, uh, you know, like – I, the the visual. I know that like the Redskins in a recent game, people were commenting on how bad the turf looked. It was it, it really it, it, FedEx things FedEx Field. The it, the turf was yellow. 
It, it looked and, and there weren't soccer games being played. There weren't college football games being played. There. It's almost like there's a con- congressional investigation being put upon Washington because the field was not right. I mean, honestly, I don't care if they're playing in a mud ball. I mean, I I, I just want to see a a good game, and I, I don't think the color of the turf really no. determines anything. I, I I do love games in the snow, though. I mean, most I mean, most of your favorite games, like you know, the ice ball, it's so. Uh, burned, if I can use that, considered yeah. sports and tundra into my brain. You know, I can still remember. I mean, I grew up, uh, and my best friend's family was originally from Wisconsin, so they were huge Packer fans. And you know, I just remember sitting in his living room watching, you know, Bart Starr following Kramer and wedging out Pew, and you know, it was such a huge thing. You just um, give me yeah. a game where not every snap is a guarantee, or footing is a guarantee, or you know what I mean. And the thing was, there were some amazing. Long passes. They actually had a hundred yard pass in that game because of the uh, just the catch and throw, and and nobody was able to tackle the receiver. But but just nothing was a guarantee in that game. And at the end of the game, the Calgary quarterback Bolivar Mitchell was a really good quarterback. Had a chance to win the game, but he threw an interception at the end, and they could have tied it with a field goal. But he talked his coach into going for it. He said, "Look, I've been doing this all game. I want the ball in my hands. I want to win. Like it, it, it makes it very exciting. It's." It's really good, and I, I just – all of it was perfect. What, 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 I saw some snow battles at Tiger Stadium when the Lions yeah. played, uh, you know, outdoors, and, you know, so years ago in the 60s. And, um, you know, I mean, those were the games you remember, oh, like yeah. when you couldn't see the ball. There was yeah. one Thanksgiving they played the uh, Raiders, and, um, uh, you know, it was back – we were pulling in the game, I think, from Cleveland uh, because that was when they had the – the rules and so forth and the Cleveland channel, we'd pull it in and it, it was snowing on the field, but we had snow with our reception as well. So yeah. it was hard to tell which was which. Well, like how would the greatest show on turf look if the turf was all snow ridden? You know, that, well, that's what I want to know. And, and and believe me, snow is not anathema to an offensive game. I mean, there was a playoff game, Miami-Buffalo, back in the Kelly days. I think it was 90 or 91, where I think the final score was like 38 to 24. Yeah, you can still score. You just got to figure out how. Right. right, Kelly and Marino were were, were lighting yeah. it up, and and by the way, by the way, Kev, I, I remember watching the NFL films on the ice bowl. I still think the thing that was the coolest thing was them going trying to defrost the turf. They went, <laughs> they had a they had a team of people with World War Two era era flamethrowers, yeah, yeah, bl- bl- blasting the turf with 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 with, with basically with fire to try to, and all it did was create like more ice. So that's. Right. You know, well, we, want, we want the same thing with hockey. You know, one of my favorite games was the Snow Globe first winter classic. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was snowing. It was, it was skating down the ice with the, you know, in the midst of the snow. Well, at least it, in, in Michigan, we did get that snow again. So, yeah, no, it was good. That's, you know, that's what I root for for the winter classic. Uh, you know, yeah, you root for snow. Yeah. You root for snow. Yeah. All right, well, let's get the show started. Oh, oh, I wanted to uh, – the Ohio State-Michigan game, I did catch the score of that game. I'm not the biggest of college it – was, it was weird. College football this, this weekend caught my attention because Auburn beat Alabama, which I hate Alabama with a passion just because they're Alabama, and Ohio, and Ohio State won over Michigan, which – you know, based on the rankings, uh, that, that's not a surprise, but it's always a big rivalry game. Yeah, no, I, I got to go to the Michigan-Ohio State game. Uh, a friend of mine uh, has uh, uh, a suite, uh, and uh, he gave me one of his tickets, and we went. And, you know, it's so different now. I've be, you know, I've covered so many games and so many sports that 
the excitement has lost a little bit of the big game. You know, I, I tend to look at it a little more analytical. I don't have highs and lows um, like you would normally do as a fan, but uh, I, I did have them at this game. It was just so much fun. Uh, although I joked with my family that I think I was born to, uh, uh, you know, enjoy it as a rich fan as opposed to a middle-class fan because I, I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed being in a suite. The, the, <laughs> the big game, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I know I've been in suites before, but not not for a game, not for the whole game. Like I've done, gone in there and done interviews, yeah, people yeah. before. So to you know, sat in the seat and you know the window was open. It was a beautiful day, and I love uh, uh, college football rivalry. You know, there was one Ohio State fan in our suite who was a guest of somebody, and you know he was wearing his gear, and there were some older uh, Michigan fans, and you know it was just fun. It, 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 you know, it reminded me that it can still be fun and not be hateful like it is on social media. I mean, uh, you know, there was some good natured razzing and, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the officials are a bomb type stuff and that <laughs> yeah. no conspiracy theories about how, you know, just, oh, yeah. they're just the bums. And it was, it was just a good time. I, I, I probably, I would rank that in terms of my sporting fan experiences. One of the best, uh, now Michigan didn't win. Uh, but you know, it was a good game. It was a competitive game. Uh, the Michigan quarterback didn't play well, which sort of fit into the theme of Michigan because Stafford didn't play well for the Lions on Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, you know, it was a good, it was a good game. It was a fun experience. Okay. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, November twenty seventh, twenty seventeen. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. Kevin Allen, USA Today. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Um, Kev, busy weekend in the NHL after the Thanksgiving holiday. There was no games. Um, not to do a sort of an overview, but uh, there's always that adage of a team, you know, if they're in the playoff spot at a certain point that, you know, they're you know if they're in a playoff spot by Thanksgiving, they're going to be there. I don't think that adage – is accurate anymore simply because now we have three point games. Now the standings, you know, we've talked about parity in the league. I, I, I think that no team is safe. Maybe even to new years where if a team is in the playoffs, they're safe. And if they're not in the playoffs, they're out. Well, what do you, what do you think of that Thanksgiving marker in terms of playoffs or non-playoffs? Well, first of all, I love that Kenny Holland makes sure that you distinguish between American Thanksgiving, he said, <laughs> the, you know, it's where you're at, you know, if you're not in a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, because we all know the Canadian Thanksgiving is a month before, at least we know that in the National Hockey League. Right. Um, but, you know, the math works out. Uh, you know, I did a story this week um, and I went back and I just did from the salary cap era because I think that's really the only where you're comparing oranges and oranges and not apples and oranges. Um, and it works out to 78.4% of the teams who have a playoff position of at uh, American Thanksgiving make it in. So what that means is that only three to four teams who are not in a position on Thanksgiving Day get in, three to four every year. Now, I thought, okay, well, but has that worked recently? And I looked, and over the last two seasons even, it's worked exactly that. Um, so um, it is, is it a perfect indicator? Absolutely not. There have been teams that have roared back. Uh, uh, you know, the Flames, I think, last season were well back, uh, and they made it in. But it isn't a good indicator. 78.4% is a pretty significant uh, 
uh, you know, marker in terms of determining in there. So I, I, it's not a perfect barometer, but I think it does work. And I think it does what it, to me, what it says is when coaches talk about the importance of a good start and they always say, you know, you can't win it with a good start, but you can sure as heck lose it with a bad start. I think right. that's true. I think it, and even with the three point games, it's hard because other teams are getting in those three point games as well. Right. And to me, like, you know, if you're only two points back and you're sitting in right below a wild card, you're not worried about that. That's that, that standings, that Thanksgiving indicator, because, you know, I mean, it's just one win or loss either way. But if you're down a ways and you got to climb over three teams and, you know, you look and the calendar already says December and the season is 30 percent over, you're going, whoa, we're in trouble. Well, I mean, the, the two examples that I think you know, are illustrate the point that you were just making the the Leafs were in the playoffs when they fired Randy Carlisle a few years back and this was early January and the reason that they fell like a stone was not just losses it was losses in regulation they were not getting any points and you know they and they were only in the playoffs by a few points but still the the the, the decline was precipitous now two years ago Pittsburgh you know, after making the Kessel deal, I was tracking this because Toronto was getting their first round pick if they made the playoffs in one of the two years, one of the next two years. And by mid-February, they were still outside of the playoffs looking in. And then they rallied in late February and March and got in and then had that run to the cup. So yeah, there's always the exception, but mo most of the time it's those teams that are sort of in a good spot, they're going to stay in that good spot, Russ. Right. I think there's going to be this year will be the five-team shuffle. I think there'll be two in the East and three in the West that look safe right now that won't be safe in the end. That's what I think. Okay, well, look, look, I mean, I'll just do this quickly here because look, looking at looking at the East right now, the Devils are in first place. I mean, okay, it's only a quarter of the season, but nobody had them – I mean, no, I don't think – nobody that I know picked the Devils to make the playoffs. And no, I didn't either. I picked them at 500, but not to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the Metro is tight right now. New Jersey at 32, Columbus at 31, the Islanders at 30. To me, the, the, the Devils are the most surprising of the three, but I was predicting doom out of the Islanders. And, Kevin, right now, I mean, Tavares is having a great year. They're having a you – know, Josh Bailey is having a great year at the right time because he's a UFA uh, next next July. And a young guy like Matthew Barzell has stepped up. I mean, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I don't know how long they can hold, keep it going because I still question their goaltending, but you have to tip your hat to say that they're they're doing a lot better than expected this year. For sure. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Doug Waite. I think he's done a masterful job with that team. Uh, you know, all the players are playing at high levels. I love the his line combinations because, you know, you look at them and somehow in, in some cases they don't even make sense, but obviously they make sense to him. And they've worked. Every one of them um, has been, you know, effective. And he's mixed things up a little bit. And, you know, they're playing like a team – it looked like it would be catastrophic, and 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 it it may be from the franchise to lose John Tavares, but you know now you're thinking, well, maybe they can, maybe there's more there on the island than we think there is. But uh, I I listed among my teams that were vulnerable, and I didn't put the Islanders among them, which surprised me. I, you know, that to me, I've been impressed by them, and I agree with your assessment of their goaltending. Their goaltending shouldn't be as good as it's played. It's been it's been adequate, and and that's uh, you know more than we would have guessed it would have been. I'll say this. Um, I, I had a, a, 
an exclusive with Josh Hosang the other day. People can go to Sportsology and read it. But I'll, I'll give you the gist. The gist was he talked about Doug Waite having these just gut decisions on lines and when you get out there, and he'll just you know tap somebody on the back and then they'll go out there. So it's not always set. He had a point where he sat for a very long stretch in the Flyers game and then all of a sudden threw him out there in, in OT, and sure enough, he's on the game-winning shift. What, what I noticed is the last two OTs, they're very good in OT because of their speed. Barzell and, and Hosang have added now an element of speed that makes it very difficult for the opposition to cover in overtime. And Tavares with his puck possession, and we all know, it's deadly. Tavares, the thing about Tavares now, and this has been not just the one game that we noticed, but really all season because Hosang confirmed it, Tavares probably plays more OT time than any player in the league. He literally stays out there for like the first minute, minute and a half. Right. Then he takes a break. Then he's back out there again. He takes a quick break, and he's back out there again. Like there's nobody that gets used as much as him in overtime, and it's that's really helping to sort of, I think, tilt the odds. And then they do have a team philosophy. It sounds really simple, but score more goals and give up fewer goals. But, like, I think, I think the coaching staff instilled that in them also knowing that, hey, it'll make it easier on our goaltending if we do it. Now, the, the, the thing that – and it's going to hang over this team until it's resolved one way or the other. Um, I mean, the, the, the panel on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday talked about this. Right now, the things that supposedly Tavares is looking for in terms of a confirmation uh, to, to justify staying in Brooklyn, meaning you know some agreement on the building, um, it's probably not going to happen in the time frame before the contract is up. I mean, he's a free agent on July the 1st. Now, if that's the case, the only thing that they're relying on, Kev, is the team being – you know, a good team, him having uh, a, a good rapport with the coach and the, his desire to stay, to stay in New York. But if he's not unsure of where the franchise is going, I mean, I think everything is up in the air right now when it comes to John Tavares. Yeah, I, I do think it's messy just for that reason. Like, he's not going to know all the things, the questions he needs to answer by the time the trade deadline. And so, you know, the Highlanders are going to be faced with a uh, – you know, very difficult decision. I, I'm going to guess that they'll just let it play out. And uh, but they got two players they're doing that with Kev because Josh Bailey's leading the team in scoring still. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But I, I think the Josh Bailey situation, uh, I don't think anybody believes that Josh Bailey woke up and is f five times better than we thought he was. No, uh, no, no. But, but he is a, at least a 50-point guy in the NHL. Yeah. I mean – yeah, they they don't want to lose him either, but yeah. I I think I think they're gonna they'll just ride it out with Tavares like the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning did. Yeah, um, no, I think so too. I think that's the way it's gonna go. But I also think Bailey, if they really if the team really knows they can't sign him, then he might get traded at the deadline. But he's their top scorer. Like they're in a spot where they do have good young talent and they have assets, and they may not be able to move the assets. Yeah, no, I, they're they're in a bad they're in a pickle to be sure. Yeah. And, you know, whoever thought that the, the pickle would be caused by the fact that they're playing pretty well. So Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the Atlantic Division, you have Tampa, who is – they're not running away with the division, but they're, you know, arguably the best team or the second-best team in the NHL right now at 34 points. Toronto at 31 and Detroit at 25. Toronto's season has been absolutely weird because they go 6-1 and one at the start, 
then they lose six of their next eight, then they win six in a row. Now they've lost three of their last four. It's it's a roller coaster, Kev. It's a complete roller coaster. Well, I, I think that sort of speaks to the fact that, you know, although everyone believes the Maple Leafs are ahead of schedule, they still are in the rebuilding mode and they're yes. heavily dependent on younger players. And the one thing we know about younger players is that they're, um, you know, their, their level of competition, you know, their consistency uh, is not there when they're young and it'll be much better as they move forward. But right now, you know, they're not the same team every game, you know, as, as, a, as a veteran team, you would expect it to be. So, so that's been the difference, uh, but you know, I this Tampa, uh, excuse me, this Toronto Maple Leaf team is uh, is impressive. The amount of talent they have and their and I, I still believe they'll make a move. Uh, you know, they think there's a, there'll probably be an opportunity there for them to improve on the on the blue line, um, and they've got some guys they've got to make some decisions on as well. So you know, they have players that I think that could get them the kind of help you know, that they would need to be more consistent down the stretch. So yeah. um, I'm not worried about it. They're going to be there. And I, I think they're a legitimate, uh, you know, contending team. I, I wouldn't put them among the favorites, but I would say they're in contentions if everything went well. Now, the next block of teams in the East, it's like these are the teams that I think are so used to being contenders for cups or winners of president's trophies that they're sort of surprised that they're in the position that they're at, they are in right now. Washington and the Rangers occupy the two wild card spots at 29 and 28 points. Pittsburgh is at 27, Boston at 24, Ottawa at 22, Carolina at 24. So, I mean, you're talking – Two of the, you know, the the two Eastern Conference finalists from last year right now are on the outside looking in. Now it is only twenty five games, so yeah, I think Pittsburgh's starting to wake up. Like they beat um, they beat Tampa the other day. Like they're 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 starting to come out of their their slumber. I'm I'm not worried about them, and I'd say Washington's picked it back up. Me too. And, I'd say that, and the Rangers, and the Rangers too. I've been really impressed by the Rangers. I they're better than. I thought they were going to be. Um, yeah, I can give you a couple reasons on that, too. The um, On the Washington front, though, we do have to say, look, Alex Ovechkin just passed Mike Bossy on the all-time goal-scoring list, and it's gotten maybe the least amount of press I've ever seen for a current great player that I can recall. Like, it's just – it's almost appalling to me. Like, I guarantee you most fans don't even know it occurred. Well, I mean, I knew I knew it occurred because I was in Toronto when it happened, and yeah, and and he, he not only did he pass Bossy, but he took over the NHL goal lead with 18 yeah. goals. You know, courtesy of the fact that you know his favorite team to play against is the Maple Leafs, and he scored 36 goals in 44 <laughs> career games against them. So it's, it's like talking just time, just uh, time to put on a show. What the hell? A little bit of dominance, but but here's what I'll say about the Rangers, and this is what I contended all year when fans were really dumping on Kevin Shattenkirk. Again, he makes their power play better, and when he scored yesterday in the shootout, like now you've got a defenseman that you're using in a shootout that has now made your team better in the shootout, and and that is something where that's a dynamic the Rangers haven't had in a long time, and so yeah, you know what? These are regular season points. They're able to get more regular season points with that. Now, they're playing better than I thought they could without McDonough, but the reason they're playing better without McDonough is the offense has stepped up, but Lundqvist has stepped up too. Lundqvist has been great. He made a lot of great saves in overtime. He Right now he's in a spot where Ranger fans really are giving him no credit. There's a thing in New York, Kevin. I don't know if this happens in every city, 
Mike can attest to it because he's lived in, in, in New York State his whole life. I had to say state because, you know, but you're around the city action a little bit. Anytime a player hits 35 in New York, every newspaper is willing to write that player off. The minute something bad starts to happen, well, he's, he's, he's still good, but he's losing this and he's starting to decline. And I've been watching this ever since I was a kid. And look, sometimes it's right, but most times it's wrong. And I think people were premature about the Lundquist part of that too. Well, the, the uh, Shannon Kirk's uh, ability to deliver in the clutch, like, you know, uh, in that shootout win that they just had uh, against Carolina, um, they needed Shattenkirk to score in the end of the third round to yeah. that shootout just to extend it. Yeah. And that's to me, that's the toughest thing. It is. More. You know, when you when you're out, if you miss that shot, and he delivered, and uh, you know, it happened again too. I can't remember who scored, but uh, somebody did. You remember Russ who scored when? Oh, you mean in that one against Carolina? In the overtime, Carolina scored a goal, and then they, they again, they had to tie it, and they did. And then Yeah, they, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. I've seen too many games. But, yeah, but anyway, I, I thought when I watched that shootout, I thought, you know, this is a team with a lot of confidence. When you can, you know, stave off a shootout loss on your final shot, you know, twice, yeah. and then come back and win it. You know, that, yeah, that, they did that. They, I believe that's exactly what they did yesterday, too. And Nash was one of the – guys who buried it as well, which was impressive because I didn't know if Nash had the confidence anymore. So you're right. There is a confidence factor. Yeah, for sure. Now, the the team that I mentioned that intrigues me the most right now is Ottawa. Um, you know, Kevin, Pierre Dorian, I don't think he went out on a limb to, to uh, in terms of the whole Duchesne deal. Um, but Turris was effective and, and playing very well in Ottawa. And they just didn't. They simply did not want to sign him to the extension that Nashville ended up signing him. You know, you got to give Duchesne time to settle in in Ottawa. But eight games, he's got one goal and no assists. So, and then this team, you know, right now has not you know, the, the the spark from last year. And you have to put take into consideration everything went right for them. I mean, they got uh, Condon to come in and play like 25 straight games when Anderson was, you know, off the ice, more concerned and legitimately so about his wife and, and cancer. Uh, their scoring was phenomenal. Carlson had a year that was incredible. This year they start out Carlson's out of the lineup. You know, he's still playing. He's still Carlson, but there's not – there's something missing there. And – Almost like they're, 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 you know, they hear the clock ticking when it comes to, I don't know, maybe having to pay Carlson $10, $11, 12000000 million in free agency. And we know that that team doesn't want to spend a ton of money, so that may limit their opportunities. I, I don't know. Right now it just seems unsettled in Ottawa. Yeah, it does to me too. Uh, what is missing is Mathot. That's certainly – Yeah, that's missing. There's no question. Yeah, that's a bit. That was a major loss for him. But you know, I, just the other day I wrote that you know somewhere in there is that team we saw in the playoffs. Like it wasn't, um, you know, just one guy. You know, tourists and Duchesne, Like I, I think that was a poor trade. I said so at the time. You know, it basically you gave up a lot of assets to get one extra year on a center because you right. felt you couldn't sign tourists, and it was just too many, too many assets to give up. And they thought Duchesne was better than tourists. And, you know, we talked on this show, like both those players have, like to me it's a wash uh, yeah. in terms of centers. You know, you know I, I saw it as a shame was maybe a better goal scorer and Turris was a better uh, offensive create, 
creator. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but you know, but that trade shouldn't be what's holding back. I, I think you said it right. Carlson's injuries slowed him at the start, and they're missing Mathot. But you you know what made that team so good was just how they played that uh, relentless pursuit. You know, Boucher I thought was the real MVP of that team because he got him to play. They they were hard to play against, and they haven't been that team. And it's in there somewhere. But you know, they're uh, you know you don't want to say that with they're not even at the thirty percent mark. But you know, they really are running out of time. Like yeah, they got to get going. You can't you know just yeah. turn it on in the second half of the season. So. The good thing for them is they have two games in hand on the Rangers and three on Washington. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? And this was borne out when it came to Boucher in Tampa Bay. He was a short-term coach. As much as, as much as John Tortorella is perceived as a short-term coach in terms of his methodology, in terms of pushing his players, he's a guy that after two or three years, they probably start to tune him out. Now, he came in last year, and they, they had great results. And I think his first year in Tampa was the year that they went to the conference final, Russ. But then after a while, after a while they it, 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 it drifts away. And that's another concern for Ottawa is that, you know, they just don't want to play that, I mean, you know, face it, boring type of defensive game that they do, but it's effective. Uh, if they do, but after, after a certain time, players don't want to play that type of game. I, I don't think he's they're tuning them out. I, I really don't. Yeah, really, yeah. I, I don't think that that's the answer. I, I just think that yeah, Carlson. I mean, look, he, he's still doing pretty well. I think oh, he's doing great. I, yeah. I think um, it, they haven't really gotten their feet since the trade. I think Kevin's right, and the trade was more disruptive than they probably thought it would be just to get term on a guy. And I think that's really what's stinging them more than anything because, I mean, look, going back to the Islander game, they were right in that. They, they lost that one, I think, in overtime. And then, yeah, before that, they were getting beat pretty bad. But, you know, I even against Arizona, they lost in overtime. Like, even in this stretch, you know, I don't want to use the Dave Haxtell quote because he got killed for it. But even in a stretch where they're losing, they're managing to get some points. Right. And unfortunately – I know why a coach says that nowadays because that's the world we live in. It just doesn't sound good. But right now, this is just a real downturn for them. But I think I think they can get back to it. I do. Two other teams in the East I just want to touch on quickly because never have I seen two teams be play different or be as different with one goaltender as opposed to the other. And Florida has 18 points right now, but they are a completely different looking club with Luongo and goal than with Reimer or anybody else. I mean, Luongo, he's 37 or 38 years old, but I saw him play on uh, last week against, against the Leafs and the Leafs were lucky to get a point. They had a goal late in the third period and Montreal. We've covered that territory. Carey Price comes back this weekend, gets a shutout over Buffalo. You know, some people will joke, well, that's not an NHL team, but it is. Um, but, Montreal, they have 21 points, I believe. That's seven points out of a wild card spot. If Price is healthy, they have a chance to get back in this race, Kev. Well, maybe. Uh, I, I think they got bigger issues. I mean, Price is, can, is, you know, I think coming into the season, we still all viewed him as the number one goalie in the league, and he has the potential to carry that team. But, you know, they, they have a lot of holes, and um, – you know their defense isn't where it needs to be. Their, their offense, their the lack of a of a true center. Um, you know that's a that's a team in in search of an identity 
uh, far different than the one they have now. Uh, you know, they they need to find uh, some help there. And I, I think they're one team that um, I've been told by a couple of general managers that Bergman has turned over every stone trying to figure out a way to, you know, put a charge in that team. But, um, you know, Price will help. There's no doubt about it. He's a quality goalie, and as long as he's healthy, he's going to keep them in games. Yeah, if he posts, like, three shutouts in four games or something crazy like Dubnik did, they'll they'll get confidence, and then, you know, shortly after that, they'll be in it. If not, then they'll fall out of it. Like, that's where, you know, he's the only one that can bring them out of this right now. Switching to the West, I'm continually stunned by the Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe I shouldn't be, but, you know. It's, They're still listed at 200 to 1, so people want to still yeah, bet it. I'll, I'll throw five bucks in on that one. But, but okay, 22 games. They're 15, 6, and 1. Jonathan Marsh is so named first star of the week. Uh, they now now Malcolm Subban is back. I still have not heard any any uh, solid news on Mark Andre Fleury about when he's going to come no. back. But but Kev, it doesn't seem to matter. They, they they've maintained this with Maxim Lagasse as their number one goaltender. I, I don't get it. Well, I mean they have hockey players, uh, uh, high character, uh, devoted, hardworking hockey players at all twelve forward spots and all six defenseman spots. I mean, uh, these are experienced guys. These are guys they count on. They were all drafted or traded for with the idea that um, there would be, you know, no blemishes on them. They were just going to, they, they would, would function as they were expected to. And that strategy has paid off. I mean, they, you know, that was their strategy. They took guys that they thought there would be no problems with, that their consistency would always be at a high level. Uh, and you know, it is, it's, it's a bit, it was an interesting strategy and it has really paid off. And, um, you know, I think we have to accept the fact we, by the end of this week, we will be at 30% of the season played mm -hmm. and look where they're sitting. You know, they're in the top five teams in the league. I'll tell you who feels more conflicted about this than us. And that would be Florida Panthers fans. Cause they're the ones who saw Gerard Gallant on the curb with like seemingly all his belongings getting yeah. kicked out of Florida, and now he's a Jack Adams candidate. He probably – if it, if it was – if it if the award was up today, he'd probably win it. And, let me ask you – know, yeah. let, let me ask you this, though, because I, I think this is a fair question to ask. Um, there are no plans to expand in the NHL, and so that means there's nothing on the horizon. But I think all of us believe that the league would like to see certainly another team in the West, and we're not done expanding. We are going to see expanding. Right. What do you think ownership reaction is going to be? <laughs> Gary Bettman comes back and says, okay, we want to do the expansion draft exactly the way we did it last time. Do you it's think not going to be the same. Are going to be as receptive and as open to the idea of letting no. a team come in and, and suddenly become a, a significant factor. No, no dues being paid, just $500 million. Uh, yeah. dollars. That's what it yeah, look, if they If they are – seemingly in the race when they had their big meeting at the all-star game, it will come up. <laughs> like yeah. it, that will definitely come up. Yeah, I think two words will come up. Screw you. Is yeah. no, I, 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 you know, look, I, I, I think every, even the owners, you know, felt that they never gave um, previous expansion teams a fair shot. Sure. Like, you know, I mean, I've, I've always compared it to, you know, a guy pays big money to get a McDonald's franchise and, but when you first start out, he gives you an inferior quality of meats, not quite as good as all the other McDonald's are serving. Or he, he gives you one ingredient or two ingredients short of the secret sauce or whatever that is. 
uh, you know, that's what they were doing back then. Nobody ever got anything. Um, you know, the by the time they were competing, how many of those players were still around? Um, right. And, and now Vegas has a bunch of guys that uh, there are at least probably six or eight or ten guys that every team in the league would love to have. So. Uh, now, uh, in the rest of the Pacific Division, top of the division, Vegas has 31 points. L.A. Kings have 29 points. The Calgary Flames have 27 points. Now, Russ, you saw Calgary on their – their Eastern swing. They're back home now because I know the Leafs play them on Tuesday. Uh, Johnny Goudreau is lighting it up right now. Um, I mean, in Monaghan, man, it's a show. It is. Yeah, but the, what they're doing, what they're doing, apparently, I mean, the, you know, the, they've maintained. They're putting Goudreau and and Monaghan on the same line. They're not trying to to, to uh, differentiate their offense. They're, they're they're putting all their eggs in one basket, and it seems to be working right now for them. Well, it's not all their eggs. They do have other players. No, but I, I know, but I think those are. You know, those are two biggest guys. They're two biggest guys, and but it's yeah, it's working. I mean, you could just see them when these guys practice; they're still young and they're having fun, and they're not feeling any pressure. Like just the, the difference between like Calgary and Edmonton for the amount of pressure that each franchise feels is completely different. Yeah. Calgary, when you look at them, feels like a team that's like, yeah, you know what. We're building towards something here. This this could be a great year for us. We're excited. And Edmonton's looking like we've got to get back in this. How is this even happening to us? You know, and it's it's a completely different feel with the two franchises. But Calgary feels good right now. And even with Gillies as a backup, I'm not I'm not even worried about that. I saw the kind of leadership that Mike Smith has given the team because let's face it, this team, if they had decent goaltending last year, would have been a lot better. We, you know, it, it always looked like it was the missing ingredient. Now they have good goaltending. Do, do you think Calgary feels good about themselves right now because of the train wreck that is the Edmonton Oilers? You know, it's sort of like looking at the mirror image and seeing how how they're how they're having how they're struggling right now. And everybody was putting those two Battle of Alberta head to head against each other, and everybody said, "Well, Edmonton's got McDavid, so they're way ahead." But right now, with all the struggles that Edmonton's having, you know, Calgary looks pretty good yeah i think they're feeling good that they're they've got one game in hand on edmonton and a seven point lead <laughs> well nothing good calgary fans uh happier than the flames going well but a close second is when the oilers are going bad <laughs> right uh, well, that's true you know they you know it's like the shirts uh you know i i like uh they, i love the calgary flames and everybody playing the you know like the edmonton oilers to be sure so <laughs> I, you know, it, here's an interesting, and the the answer is I think you'd take Connor McDavid, but you know, would you rather have Connor McDavid or, um, you know, Johnny Hockey and uh, Monahan? Um, well, well, here's the funny thing. I'm going to take the combination because in in Edmonton they haven't found a partner for McDavid. Yeah, I'd, I'd clearly rather have the Calgary defense core than the Edmonton defense core. Oh yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's not even debatable. Well, you know, what's interesting about that, the, the Calgary core are a bunch of guys that can move the puck, and the Edmonton core are a bunch of guys who can't move the puck. Right. Yeah, you know? that, that is the difference. Uh, in the Central, the, the Blues continue to lead. They lead the NHL with 35 points. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets and Nashville are tied at 31. Conspicuous by their absence is the Chicago Blackhawks, who are not even – in the wild card spot, they're one point behind San Jose and Vancouver. First to the top of the Central, 
I mean, I guess can we say now that St. Louis isn't a surprise anymore because they're seven? Yeah, they're not a surprise anymore. Yeah, I mean, um, what what is this? I mean, I, I think you can have to consider Winnipeg still a bit of a surprise because because everything has been put together, and the big the big thing is Hollebuck has stepped up as the number one goaltender. Now the news over the weekend is that Mason is out with an upper body injury, and they've called up Eric Comrie from the from the Manitoba Moose. So uh, if there was any, you know. It, you had Mason there basically to be that veteran backup, and now he's not available. So uh, this is a big break for Comrie because Comrie is a highly sought-after goalie. He's a big kid who's really can cover a lot of net, and he's been sort of waiting his turn. And, and he's sort of from that same. He he played a lot of um on on a lot of similar teams to Thatcher Demko, mm-hmm. who also is going to be next year or two a starter for the Vancouver Canucks. So he's a little bit behind him on the organizational depth chart, but this could be big for him because he could literally push Mason out of a job here. Because if he if he has a couple of good games, Mason will get the obligatory "Hey, we're bringing you back" thing. But if he has a bad game or two, I think we're going to see Steve Mason get buried. Now, as opposed to the uh, the deal uh, on the Ottawa side of it with Nashville with Kyle Turris, since he's been uh, moved to Nashville. He's got six points in eight games. Kev, I, I look at that team right now. They get Ellis back probably in the new year, if not sooner. You know, they have Rene still effective as a number one goaltender. And now you've got a one, two, three up the middle of Johansson, Turris, and Benino. I right now that they they have I mean they're they have as good a chance of any to repeat and go back to the final again. Yeah, you know, here's the amazing part of that is that, you know, they're probably, you know, this is a team that reached the final, and they're significantly improved over the team that reached the final. Um, you know, let's not forget, in against the Penguins, because Johansson was hurt, they were trying to do battle with, you know, Sissons as their kind of uh, – I'm number one. Yeah, yeah. Try, you know, they just didn't have the centers to compete. And they sure do now. And, you know, to the point they don't even have to play Bonino at center. Like, there's some thought about moving him to the wing in top six. They've got Yarn Kroc, who can, uh, is a pretty solid, dependable uh, player. They've got, uh, you know, other, they're, they're pretty deep at center now. But, you know, now they have two very creative centers, uh, guys who are 60 plus point guys. Um, and, you know, they're just a better team. Bonino knows what he's doing there. They've added Hartnell with some, uh, you know, some grit and some toughness and their defense is, uh, you know, once Ellis gets back, it's going to be rock solid and Rennie is still Rennie. Like, so that yeah. this is, and they're, and they've played well. I don't know what are the eight, one and one in their last 10, uh, they're uh, something like that. They've played very, very well. And, uh, right on eight, one and one. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I think, uh, um, you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, this is a, a, a team that, um, you know, could easily be back uh, right where they were last season. Yeah, they actually – it wouldn't shock me if they were. Although I'll have to admit, Mike, um, a few people on Twitter did decide to let me know that UC <laughs> Soros was getting a start, and I'm going to let them know that they lost the game with UC Soros starting again. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably they sent him down to Milwaukee probably to get a couple games in and yeah. – um, and brought up Lindbach just to, to occupy the backup spot, but no, I mean, I, 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 I'm I'm sort of with you. I mean, you know, him. It's not just him being a small goaltender. It's a, he had a great great half a year last year, and I just don't know whether you know he this I think year his confidence he, got hurt in a cup. I really still feel that way. 
Yeah, just hopping back to the Pacific for a second, the fact that the 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 Kings without Jeff Carter are two points out of first place. Now, I, I haven't heard anything about Gabarik. I know we were talking about it last week. He, Russell, he had assist in his first game back. Okay, so he did come back. But the fact that, you know, Carter arguably, I mean, it's either him or Kopitar as their best scorer. I mean, Kopitar wasn't a big scorer last year, but he's stepped up this year. But without Carter being able to stick in this race, I mean, once they get him back, I mean, this is a team to fear. Well, for sure. I mean, because they still have a core group of guys that knows how to win in the postseason, and they've been better offensively. I mean, that's been the key. And John Stevens said but that, that he could make the uh, uh, team better offensively. There was things he could do with the personnel he had uh, and without sacrificing the, you know, defensive uh, strength that this team has had for, you know, a few years. And, you know, there's there's been multiple factors why this team is much better, but it starts with Jonathan Quick is healthy. But Anze Kopitar and Dustin Brown, you know, finding their offensive games has also played a pretty big role in it. And I think a little loosening of the reins by Stevens has helped as well. Uh, and they've had younger players step up as well, as well which I think Russ – didn't you predict that at the start of the year? You thought some of their younger players would? I, I thought some of the younger players would do well, and I thought Stevens, being the X's and O's guy that he is, would help. The other thing that I have to give him credit for, and this is something Mark Yannetti said to us on our serious show, is that they try and dictate the pace every game. So no matter who is playing for them, and because we always look at names, right? We're always looking at the, at, at the team and saying, well, you know, there's not enough stars. Where are they going to get the scoring from? Whatever. But they just want to dictate the pace of the game and feel like if they can do that, they can control games with Jonathan Quick and Net. And so far, it's working. Now, here's where there's that, you know, like I was starting off the, the show with, you know, Thanksgiving, are you in it? Are you out of it? Here's where a team is not out of it. If you look at the bottom of the Western Conference, San Jose and Vancouver have the wild card spots at 26 points. Chicago, Dallas, Minnesota are at 25 Colorado and Anaheim are at 24. Even Edmonton at 20 with all the struggles that they're having, they really aren't out of it. No. So there's a lot there's a lot of room there for there's a team. Lot of hockey left. Yeah, there's a lot of hockey left and there's a lot of room there. Now the, the thing is and we've talked about this a little bit before about Chicago um I think you know the the salary cap problems, the depth on defense have been factors. The one that's surprising Kevin even more I had big expectations for Dallas. I thought that they were going to be really good under Hitchcock. Now, Mathot's out. They're not getting as much offensive production out of Spezza, and there's been some talk about him maybe being moved uh, but you know, because he's not playing a ton of minutes. But I really thought that Hitchcock was going to go in there and that that team with all the offensive talent that they had were going to you know, fall in line. But right now it's not working, at least not uh, up to yeah. I would agree with that. I, they've been a disappointment. I thought they, you know, they would still, you know, light it up and have a lot of goals. But I thought they would be much better defensively. And if you look at their, uh, you know, their coursing and stuff, it, 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 they are doing that. But for some reason, it's not translating into wins. And um, you know, I looked at Ben Bishop. I thought he would solidify the goaltending, but he's had some ups and downs as well. Um, and, you know, it just hasn't come together. And there is an adjustment period that goes into. Uh, trying to learn uh, how to cope with Ken Hitchcock's style, and maybe they're just going through that. But you know, the I only they thing are, Kev. I do. I think because they're a point out of the wild card. I think they are going through that hitch phase where 
Maybe not everybody has bought into it. They're nine and two at home, and Hitchcock always wants to, you know, be a beast at home. So that part's working. They're three, eight, one on the road. So I think that's the part that they have to solve. If they can solve that, they'll be fine. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, the other team that's a little surprising, and granted, they're only two points out of a playoff spot, is Anaheim. And uh, you know, we have to touch on what was what occurred off the ice. This little this video of Ryan Kessler that uh, raised a bunch uh, raised a bunch of uh, I guess hue and cry. I, I you know I, I didn't I, I watched it. I didn't think it was that ridiculous. But uh, Kevin, what 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 are your thoughts on? Well, it, the timing of it is just so bad. Like you know, with all that's going on with the um, you know the the culture change that we. Are seem to be going through um, in terms of you know women rising up and uh, um, uh, announcing to the world uh, that they're not going to tolerate uh, um, you know sexual assaults or uh, sexual harassment of any form. It, it's just really poor timing for the Ducks to to do that, and I can't believe they didn't think of that. Like you know uh, you know the the Ducks are a classy organization, and mm-hmm. you know they just missed on this now. You know, like if they do that with Kessler walking into the locker room and, you know, like that, or just walking down the corridor, you know, with, you know, a bunch of males there, but he did it with walking to an office with a bunch of females. Well, that's the difference. Uh, You know, it was a poorly executed uh, or poorly timed, you know, attempt at humor. And, you know, and maybe in a different era that would have worked fine, but not this week. You know, I, I agree with you that the timing of it's bad, but, but I guess the flip side of it for me would be he's been in the ESPN body issue, right? So we've seen him that way before, men and women, whoever bought it. But we, do we know that he was truly naked or was he just what? tiled out and led to believe that he was naked? Yeah, no, he was. I can't imagine he was naked. I, right. I, I don't believe he was. But the So in a bathing suit, like I get that it's not appropriate. But I mean, if nobody there complained about it, like in the office, like if nobody there found it offensive, is it really that offensive? That's the question. Well, it, sometimes the optics are important. Okay. And, and given the, fair, I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it just, you know, you, it, you just go, there have been times in our history when events have happened, when everybody just understands, you know, this is not the time yeah. to do that. And this was that time. No, I agree with that. And that's know, there's too much going on. Uh, and, and and fans of Sesame Street were upset when he came on the ice as Big Bird a couple weeks ago too. So, but uh, sorry. Um, just finishing up the West here. You know, we have. It's never a show if we don't talk about the Edmonton Oilers. Now they they beat the Bruins uh, yesterday, uh, four to two, I believe. Ryan Strome with a goal. Um, I know in that game that they did. Split up Dreisaitl and McDavid. Dreisaitl playing center on one line with McDavid playing first line center. Um, you know, the season is not over with. There's a obviously there's you know if they get things straightened out, a Talbot starts playing a little better. If they get Sakara back at some point, you know there's if they stay within range, they could make a run and and get into the playoff mix. But again, Kev, there's just something. And on, it's something intangible that just doesn't seem to fit right now with these Oilers where I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something that can be cured by a trade or, you know, I, I don't think that they're ready to cut ties with Todd McClellan. I mean, there's just something off right now. And it's a little strange because this team had a taste of success last year. Yeah. And maybe we, we should have seen it coming because so many players played at their best last season. And, 
you know, they're just not getting that this year. And it, the problem is, is that it's everything. Like Talbot hasn't been as good as they need him to be. The defense, uh, you know, where they can be solid defensively. They're much better than they were used to be defensively. But, you know, they're not a high-caliber offensive group that can, you know, they can get the puck out of their zone, but they can't seem to get it up to the forwards. And up front, they seem to be short, uh, you know, a scorer. They made, they made an effort to – they made a little minor trade uh, bringing in uh, – shoot, I'm drawing a blank um, – Oh, uh, Camilleri. Camilleri. Yeah, Camilleri, you know, trying to make the effort. But they really need a premium score. When you have, you know, guys like Dreisaitl and uh, uh, Connor McDavid, you need to add another, you know, premium score to that top six. And so, you know, right now, it, you know, this is a team that looked like it had turned the corner last year. Now you look at it and you can say, you know, they're not there. They don't have enough depth. They're not, you know, they just don't have it. Yeah, so here's the thing. I see that, you know, the other day, Jordan Everly gets quoted, says the Edmonton media can be pretty brutal and your confidence goes and this is a game you can't play if you don't have confidence. And then, you know, after that, you know, he says, hey, it affects you and I lost my confidence. Like, I know there are, you know, fans that will say, well, he's a player, he can't lose his confidence. Like that's, but it happens. And sometimes the pressure in Edmonton is worse than the actual play of Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just to touch on, uh, Act posted, uh, his uh, rumor of the day regarding Zdeno Chara. And um, it's tough for me to conceive of the Bruins trading him unless they fall out of the race because he's a UFA, and I believe, at the end of this year. But he wants to – he's made uh, indications he would like to stay in Boston. Maybe it's a situation where if the Bruins fall out of the race, they would trade him and then re-sign him in the offseason. And at – mentions three teams, L.A., the Washington Capitals, and the Oilers. Uh, I don't think he's going to help the mobility of the Oilers' defense, but he would definitely solidify them. And, you know, there's the con- there's the connection there with Peter Shirelli. I look at the Caps because i seen them on Saturday, Kev, and, you know, they have a top four that's pretty good with Orloff, Carlson, Niskanen, and Orpik, but – their bottom pairing is young and, and, and relatively inexperienced, and that that's a team that could use a like a veteran guy as a rental because I think that they have a they have a window, uh, and they I think they need some depth both at forward and defense. I, I agree that the Capitals need a veteran. I I can't imagine the Bruins would trade Chara. Like I just don't even think they'd entertain that. Uh, that would be, you know that. You know, he's been an effective player. They're still in the hunt. It just doesn't make any sense. They want to sign him, I assume, to uh, an extension. I just can't see him doing that. But I do agree with you about the about the Capitals. Like, um, they've sort of uh, been treading water, the Capitals have. And then lately they've started to look better, more like the Capitals of old. And yeah. um, I, I think if they could get you know one more uh, defenseman, that they could be right back where they were last season. Now – is that good or bad? Uh, you know, because they they didn't win it. Uh, uh, they may f- need a way to get sort of themselves a, you know, the the goal shouldn't be to get back where they were last season. The goal should be to be better. And you know, they've got their own issues because they got to get Carlson signed. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it might go the other way. Do they really need a defenseman, or do they need more scoring? Like they, they there are five teams ahead of the Capitals in scoring right now, and and we would not think that when the season started that they would be like sixth in scoring in the East. Like that would sound crazy to us. Their goal differential is only minus one. So the Trots method 
is not working to perfection, but it's still working. They need more goals. Well, I mean, I saw we I saw an awful lot of Devontae Smith Pelly of Alex Chase on uh, in the game on Saturday, Russ. So it's you know, I think that they could use more than anything uh, a a third a third line guy or somebody who they could put in the top six so they could so they could move somebody down into the bottom six to give them a little more depth offensively because you know you shut Ovechkin down and easier said than done for for, for the Maple Leafs because they can't but if you shut him down and you maybe limit Kuznetsov that team can't score goals at all yeah that's true I mean they yeah you get past Kuznetsov and you get past OV, and then they guys are coming up short. They are. I mean, and it it again. We always talk about secondary scoring, but again, with the Washington Capitals, I mean, oh, she's doing okay. Don't get me wrong. I think he's probably. I know he's got double digit goals. I don't know how many he's got, but he, you know, he got paid a lot of money, yeah. and unfortunately, now expectations are much higher for TJ Oshie than they were last year, and. So he's expected to do more. Like the problem with the Capitals is, is that we don't even look at them as like a three-line threat of a team anymore. And maybe losing Johansson did that. Yeah, he's got ten goals, but he had thirty-three last year. Is he on pace for thirty-three? Not quite. Last thing um, I saw in the news uh, last week uh, a, a message from the uh, CHL uh, commissioner that uh, for player, you know, the team, the CHL teams are a little bit leery of what's going to happen in terms of the World Junior and the Olympics, and that if they're going to release their players, it would be for one of either the World Junior or the Olympics and not both. I think that they're, they're very conscious of the fact that their star players – you know, I mean, they're they're already already going to be gone from I think December twenty sixth to January fifth for the World Junior in Buffalo, but the Olympics is another twelve days uh, out of their out of the schedule. When you know, I'm I'm pretty sure looking at re- remembering the uh, OHL schedule and the Q schedule from a couple of years ago, when uh, or a few years back when the Olymp- Olympics were in Sochi or and and the World Junior that they they tailor their schedules to lighten up when the world juniors are going on. So yeah, they don't do. lose, the, they don't lose these players for a ton of games, but they're, they don't schedule that way for the Olympics. And if their players are gone in the middle of February, they're going to be probably be gone for seven or eight games in the O or the, the dub. So, I mean, Kevin, what, do you think that that's, I mean, well, a, I mean, there's always, yeah, you know, the cream you're always interested in, but I did some check the last time we talked to this and Canada has had, you know, the, the Americans have 200 and some guys over playing in the, Europe and I was told Canada has far more. So the Canada will have a lot of options. Now, are there a couple of CHL guys? Well, probably, you know, there's probably some guys. I mean, Russ would know them better than me, but um, there's probably a couple of CHL guys they'd be interested in. So I, I understand what the CHL, you know, you know, they, they've got their own concerns and the same concerns they actually have are some of the concerns that the NHL has, you know, about, you know, the other players going over there. The interesting thing is I was talking to somebody the other day, and now where we were led to believe, and I know maybe there would be four or five college guys, I think that number is going to grow a little bit. I do, because mm-hmm. I think now we'll see a few more NCAA players because I think there will be less CHL and Dub and Q players than, than we originally thought. Not that there would be a lot anyhow. 
Well, there hasn't been any mention ever since Hockey Canada and the other countries made their official request of the KHL. There hasn't been a, a, nary a peep out of the KHL regarding not letting those players go. So I think that was a lot. That was, was a like, little bit I of bluster, Mike. It was blo- It was definitely smoke. It was a lot of smoke. Yeah. So I, I think those players are going to be available. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm still going to be intrigued by the Olympics if the KHL players are allowed to go. But, uh, but remember, yeah. it's interesting. Like, luckily, Harvard's really not having a great year like everybody expected. But they play 29 games. And Ivy League school only plays 29 games. And they will lose some players. Like, they're going to, you know, that's that, that puts into a chunk of their schedule. But, again, if they're not really in it, they're not really going to raise a fuss, right? And so, you know, I think I think you might get seven players like from the college level. That's that's what I'm expecting. Well, at the start of the year, the prediction was four to seven. So yeah, okay. it's right, right in what everybody said. So okay, guys, great show. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll announce the time. We're not sure. I think it's probably being a little earlier, maybe noon, maybe twelve thirty. But we'll let you know. Uh, follow myself on at Mike and Buffalo or uh, Russ at Sportsology or Kevin at by Kevin Allen. Um, for Kevin, for Russ, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.